In a world full of boring stories, bad videos, and marketing misinformation, one very tall man with a weird last name will use his microphone. Is this thing on? Use his video marketing knowledge. It's the red button, right? And use his friends. Please be on the show. To change that. You are listening to The Garlic Marketing Show with Ian. What? No, that's how you pronounce it. Well, if you say so, your host, Ian Garlic. Welcome to the Garlic Marketing Show. I'm Garlic here, and today's episode is brought to you by my company, Authentic Web, AuthenticWeb.media. We help tell the stories of your business through online video. And speaking of online video, I've got an awesome guest here who is crushing it on LinkedIn, who's developed a software um, that's an incredible scheduling software. It's getting some big recognition, as well as... Up until a few years ago, you never used a Mac. <laughs> uh, Corey Warfield, thanks for being on the show, buddy. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Ian. Oh uh, yeah. So we'll get into. I mean, you've got what? How many? How many followers or friends on LinkedIn right now? Yeah, I think I have more more friends and followers. It seems like right now, I think today I'm at thirty nine thousand and change, or just over forty thousand followers. And uh, they have this this arbitrary limit of first connections of thirty thousand. And I just broke twenty nine thousand, or twenty somewhere right around there today. So I'm closing in on that last thousand first connections. And so it's actually it's bittersweet. I, I can't do it personally, so I'm having my assistant go through all my first connections and see if any of them are. You know, not not very engaging, and not necessarily someone that I can help, or um, and and starting to put together a list of people I can get rid of to make room for for more people that want to have that first connection uh, <laughs> in, engagement with me. That, 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 it's fantastic that you're. I mean, the success, and I want to talk later about what it's meant to your business and growing it. But let's talk real quick about what Shedwell is, how it works, and I want to know, like, like that moment where you came up with the idea. So I spent 20 years in restaurants, and I, literally it sounds so cliche, but I'm the guy that started as a dishwasher, worked my way up to waiter, then sommelier, and I did some years in management. I was a corporate manager with some uh, a district under me, so a handful of units. Uh, F&B director, I, I did that for some time, put together some wine menus and some beverage programs, and uh, you know. In leadership in restaurants, you find that at the higher end that I was at, the waiters make more money. So I went back and spent most of my time waiting tables, and it, it was great. Uh, made great money, met great people. Uh, but every single day working in restaurants, in every restaurant worldwide, or at least in America, there's a scheduling issue. They're either overscheduled or they're, they're underscheduled. If you're overstaffed or understaffed, it costs the restaurant money, it costs the workers money, it affects morale. Uh, and, and there's data that can help forecast it, but the scheduling component has been really slow to automate. And there's some big $100 million companies that have kind of put together a glorified you know, uh, Excel sheet. And some of them have, have gone into the, the mobile app space. But after 20 years, I realized none of them did everything I wish they did. They all missed a critical component, component which was kind of the, the temp hire and you know, to actually help optimize labor because – and if a restaurant doesn't have an extra hostess or dishwasher on, on their on their staff, they run without them, and, and tables get turned slower. And you know there, there are all these downsides to the wait to the waiters, to the to the bar staff, to to the ownership. 
And so I kind of understood that if there was an affordable scheduling platform that could access talent pool uh, through, through, throughout communities, and, and if it could automate some of the training and give people opportunities to get promoted. If I'd had an app 20 years ago and I was a busboy that taught me about food and wine, I could have become a waiter quicker, right, and made more money. And so, so I realized there were all these things that tie into your work schedule where you're there you know, figuring out when you want to work and how to get promoted and all these things. Uh, and if there was an affordable platform, and I, I went to a little bit too affordable for our first two years. We launched just the first free scheduling platform in the world, and uh, it turns out that people don't trust or like free. And so we, we reworked that model. We started charging for the same product that had been free, and then we got bigger clients, and, and people started you know started following us uh, a little bit more and taking us a little bit more seriously. Uh, so it's been kind of a learning experience. No MBA dropped out of college in 1997, but we've had some great success so far. That we're about 30, 30 people on the team and bootstrap the company. Awesome. I mean, that, that's it's a fantastic idea. It's it's a big pain point that you're solving. Um, and so what? But what was the moment where you're like, I'm going to start this company? And, you know, because it seems like you didn't have a tech background. You didn't have much of that before. Am I right? A hundred percent right. The first thing I tried to do is teach myself how to code. I've always thought I was a relatively intelligent person. Turns out I might be smart, but I'm not that smart. Uh, (laughs) So the second smartest thing I did was find find a technical co-founder. But the aha moment for me, I was at a, you know, 10 plus million dollar location, prime steakhouse. And I'd I'd helped grow that restaurant. I helped open it, you know, from, from day one. And uh, we were profitable, and the, the community liked us, and we got bought by a restaurateur that had built his net worth to a billion and then doubled that in a year to two billion, and, and known in the space, and but known as kind of being being a, a micro-earner. And he, he came in, bought the concept, and literally the first day, the price on everything on the menu went up by $1, and the portion size got a little smaller. And it was heartbreaking. When you're, when you're a $200 ahead restaurant, you, you anticipate your guests expecting opulence and, and to see ourselves kind of going in the wrong direction was disheartening. And the first day of the second week, so day eight of the buyout, um, he said he was taking away our scheduling software. And, you know, we didn't even realize how important it was at the time. We just kind of took it for granted. And after 20 years in the industry, I spent 10 years without any software and then 10 years with, with software and realized how how great that was it became something that we absolutely needed in an industry where shifts and you know change and availability and need and all that change on a daily basis and so he was going to take it away we said oh well we'll pay for it as a staff and we found out how much it cost it was pretty expensive and we said well that's not a that's not a deal breaker we'll you know take the money out of our paychecks and we were each going to pay 10 12 bucks a month or something they're like 35 40 waiters that were willing to do this and so we ran that up the flagpole and they came back they said no uh, it's it's not as much about the dollar amount, and it is about about the balance sheet. They wanted to show the most profitable operation, you know, as quickly after the buyout. So took it over, you know, profit margins went up, bottom line went up, and so they basically said no, figure it out. And I, I was kind of uh, tangentially in leadership for the restaurant, and I took it kind of seriously, and uh, so I, I started to put together some Facebook groups, you know, one for the busboys, one for the bartenders. That didn't work. I tried to put together a Google sheet that everybody could access. Well, in order to use this type of a thing, everybody's got to have edit access. So you're going in and all of a sudden, you know, within one day it was evident, right? We're going to show up and there's going to be no waiters one day or, you know, twice as many people. And then we make half as much money and it just wasn't going to work. So I did a bunch of research and I realized there wasn't a good alternative on the market that didn't cost a lot of money. And kind of my aha moment was, 
there's so many other ways to to monetize this. Let's let's make a free one that's better than anybody's, and let's make it free, and we'll get all these users, and then we can monetize, and we can monetize them to train them and hire and all these things. Well, uh, investors don't like free, and, and and the bigger clients don't like free, and so uh, at a certain point, it was do or die. We we needed some money in the bank, and so you know rather than than you know, do anything crazy, like sell my car. I, I just started charging for the product and, and it actually was really well received. We had users say, oh yeah, we've been waiting for that. Like obviously you have to charge us. And then they started telling some friends and their friends started signing up. And it, it really was very obvious that I had just been a little bit, uh, you know, stubborn, reluctant. I just, I, I'd been a little bit, uh, too bullish on the free. Um, but we took that away. We were still very affordable. Um, and, and we're saving our users a lot of time and money, but time being money as well. So um, I, we found this hybrid, and uh, we really just made it do things that the comp- competition don't do that, that are even more time-saving. And uh, so, yeah, I think we've just kind of created a better mousetrap. And so now you have to get that word out. At what point, you know, what was your first marketing efforts with Shedwool? So I, I was uh, – I was in a situation where I was accepted into a business accelerator, a four-month program, and I thought that would get us some PR. It didn't really, and they didn't really have anybody in the program that was getting the word out. So I was doing a lot of trial and error, posting on on Facebook, on Twitter. In retrospect, those were the wrong traction channels. That's not where my, my target uh, decision-maker lives. But uh, So I tried to do a lot of things on Alignable and, and on uh, F-Success, and you know, I got some early PR just kind of getting out there and talking to people, and you know, you never know who you're talking to, so ended up talking to some journalists that, that, that got some decent articles and press for us. Uh, and so that kind of worked, but the moment that I started listening to the audiobook Traction by Gabriel Weinberg, it opened up my eyes, and I realized I'd been looking at this all wrong. I yeah, the, the software is a solution that we're offering, and, and, and the company is, you know, a sum of all parts. But myself being the CEO and founder and kind of being the industry expert, uh, I could really be the face of the company and be out getting us PR. So I just started taking LinkedIn seriously. And I think a lot of people in retrospect kind of laugh when they go back and look at my profile because it took me six months of being active daily and being really supportive, finding the right people. Uh, researching who I was reaching out to, following them, not connecting to them, commenting on their, their stuff with value add, and putting out some really good content literally for about six months where those posts were getting anywhere from zero to two likes per post. And I think a lot of people are you know, a little bit surprised that I wasn't discouraged. It's like, at what point do you just give up? Like three months in, four months in, you're like, nobody likes my stuff. Uh, but, but I knew that this channel was was potentially huge for us. And so uh, next thing you know, I started getting 20 likes per post and then 50 likes per post. And then out of the blue, somebody I had been working on for months that had hundreds of thousands of followers at the time took a liking to me and kind of kissed me on my forehead. And next thing you know, my posts are getting hundreds of likes. And you know, now I've had posts get many thousands of, of likes and hundreds of thousands of views. And so then I just needed to fine tune how to use that to get to the, the, the right decision makers and to understand you know, that I couldn't be on LinkedIn selling Shedwool, but I could be on there selling the, the solution, right? There is a problem. I understand that problem from 20 years of, of, of dealing with it. And, and through that lens, I've created a, a solution to that. And I help people with a number of solutions that have nothing to do with, with SaaS or B2B or scheduling as well. And so I've kind of become known as a problem solver. And so now if I'm a problem solver and I'm tagging some people that have shift workers, scheduling will be a problem for them. I don't even need to tell them. And I think that understanding as well, it's like you don't need to tell people what their problems are. 
you need to you need them to understand that you understand their problems and the rest can kind of be unspoken and so i started delivering that message that you know, i'm here to help with anything and time is a big resource and one of the one of the things that i'm passionate about is saving people time and i, and I do that with with, uh, with mobile apps and web apps and you know so much so that i started a company doing it and it really shortens the sales cycle it's, it's kind of just letting that dangle out there and the right people come back and say oh you have scheduling software. I, I, I'd love to take a demo, or you know, can you really save me, you know, X amount of time and dollars? And the answer is always yes. And and so I've been able to kind of fine tune that presence there, and it's been really effective for me. That's uh, you know that's phenomenal, and you've said so many important things there. So I I, I want to dissect that a little bit, but I, I think one of the big things that I've been talking a lot about, and you said it there is. It, this idea of I don't know if we've talked about it before, but punctuated equal, equilibrium, and it's a uh, it's a evolutionary theory, and we'll link to it. But basically, you know, where you go flat, and it's not a straight uphill curve, right? It wasn't like, oh, I did 10 posts, and I was slightly better at 20 posts. It was like, dun, 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 flat, and then all of a sudden, boom, you went to the next level, right? What, what was that moment? Was was there one moment where you're like, because you said you went from like one or two likes to 50 likes. Was there a certain post that really did it? Well, so for me, a mentor of mine, Carrie Luxem, who's amazing, and a lot of your audience probably knows her, but she's she's kind of the the early queen of LinkedIn. She started capitalizing on video very early. I think that the, this first week that they did it, she started to put it out and got tens of thousands of, of followers from that. And you know, she, she's very very intelligent, but she's also just got a great energy. But I, I've been working on her for months, kind of as an influencer and as a target connection. And I just gotten on her radar, and she basically said, Corey. You need to be doing podcasts and you need to be doing videos on LinkedIn. And I think it took me a couple of weeks of hearing that. And I was doing some podcasts, but I think some of them were probably not, you know, not, not very big audiences. And it's fine. It is what it is. But once I took her, her thing about doing videos seriously, I know that's kind of your whole wheelhouse. But for me, that was a game changer. All of a sudden, this kid who's been posting you know, five times a week that no one, no one knows who he is, now you can see, see my face and, and my facial expressions and look in my eyes and hear my intonation of my voice. And more so than that, you can get my passion. And, and you feel like you know me. And it, it blows my mind. I travel the country now, and I'll be in the airport or I'll be in a restaurant, and people will come up to me and go, I, I think I know you. I swear I know you. You're on TV, aren't you? I say, no, I'm not. I'm not a, you know, I've, I've I've had some news appearances, but really, no, I, I'm, I'm not on TV. And and quite often, it's, are you on LinkedIn? Oh, yeah, I am. You're the LinkedIn. And it's people around the, the world now and the country know who I am. And some of these videos hit quarter million views or something. That's a quarter million people that have heard my voice, looked in my eyes. And, and so that was the game changer for me. And I don't, my, my first many videos also still got about four to five likes each. Um, I recently shared my first ever video i scrolled all the way back to one year ago and it was my first video and i swear to you the video and it was pretty good i shared it recently it's on my feed but uh, the video at that point just a few weeks ago had two likes and uh one of them said it it came nine months ago and one said six months ago so i did the video didn't get a single like on the video for three months three months later someone was clearly going back and stalking me and they saw the video and gave it a thumbs up and and the second person didn't do that for another three months. It was just absolutely, and I think the video still only has twenty likes or something, even though I reposted it. Uh, but it's just kind of funny to see that evolution. Where uh, even though I got zero likes on the video at the time, I made another one a week later, and that would probably get ten likes. And I think that was kind of less of the the articulated uh, equilibrium, which I love conceptually. We haven't talked about that before, uh, but but for me, I think it was kind of a 
you know, just having faith and understanding that it was working for other people. And it put me on the radar of several self-made billionaires, one of whom loves my space and has since reached out. And, you know, it's fun because my company's not raising and all of a sudden that we're not raising, people want to try to throw money at us, right? So um, <laughs> yeah, he, he reached out when we still were raising money. And I think that that, you know, he, he wanted to throw some money, but but he's got so much that he's used to his money being, being incredibly... Uh, well received and we were at a point where we didn't want to give up a majority of the company kind of thing so um but yeah that was through a video he actually one of the people on his staff saw my video and you know we were talking about shedwell and they, they told him hey you need to check out this entrepreneur he seems to really have a passion for what he's doing uh so i got outreach from them and it was pretty cool that, that you know i think that's a perfect story because you know it, it's all the elements that people don't realize that you have to keep pushing um, that your early content, no matter what, because I see that all the time where people like put out like content for like two, three weeks. I mean, I've been doing this for 10, well, technically for 13 years. Um, and in fact, like I, I got into this whole industry because I was doing commercial real estate and used LinkedIn 13, 14 years ago to get in with big accounts. But, you know, what I realized in doing this over the years is that people don't have that consistency. Um, and that consistency obviously did a lot for you. But the other thing too, is I, I want to talk about the type of content that you're creating because did you, were you, I mean, you're obviously doing shed wool, you know, you're, you're scheduling software, but was all your, was any of your content around scheduling? Was it t- completely tangential? Tell me about that. So that's, that's where I went wrong. And I finally had a guy who at the time had like 50,000 followers, which at the time into me in my life was, was so many followers and, his posts were getting hundreds of likes each. And again, at the time, that was just in- incomprehensible to me. And he reached out. He goes, Corey, I'm loving your content. And people in my world are loving your persona. But what the hell do you do? He said, I see that you're CEO <laughs> of Shedwell. And I've never heard of Shedwell. And I'm not compelled enough to find out. So in my opinion, you're done. It, you're, you're, you're a quote-unquote CEO of a, of a company I've never heard of. So that means you're not a real CEO. And you're never talking about what you do. And he goes, we get it. You're a nice guy. Your content is all, you know, about you know being a nice person, and and, and how can you be helpful? And he said, we we all want to have you over for dinner, and, and we all we all want you to be the godfather to our children. But none of we don't know what you do, and, and we don't care <laughs> enough because you're not passionate about it. And that's when I realized I'd been a little bit too reluctant because all the hard pitches at the time uh, would turn me away so much. You hard pitched me on on the first DM, and, and I literally disconnect with you. Like that's not what I was mm-hmm. about. I've since started taking a different approach and say, hey, listen, um, I actually kind of need what you're selling, but I'm not going to buy from you because I have a rule. I don't buy from anyone that hard pitches me. So think of how many other people share that mentality. Maybe you shouldn't do that. And and here's why. Here's what would have worked with me. Start following my content, liking and commenting on it. Let me know who you are. Send me a DM thanking me for the content that I put out. Let me come back to you and say, hey, I appreciate the support. What do you do? Well, I just asked it. Now, now tell me. I'm a software developer. I've got a team. We're looking for for a you know a partner in the states that'll pay us a thousand bucks a month. And at least now we're talking. It's not a hard pitch. I, I, I we have a rapport. So I started telling people this, and it's working. But at the time, uh, you know, I was I was really so reluctant to say what I do. And he basically said, Corey, I'm about to kiss you on your forehead and take you to the top of the elevator with me um, because we love you. But but the thing you have to do is you have to start talking about your company. And you have to start talking about the problem that you solved. And you have to start tagging, you know, the CIOs and director operations of these franchises that can save millions of dollars from using Shedwell.com because 
that's what that's what LinkedIn's all about. He goes, we want to see that you're a, an actual CEO. We want to see that you've created a real solution for a real problem. We want these things. And if you'll do that for me, then then I'll bring it. You know, I'll, I'll bring it into my inner circle and, and you know, all these things. So I, I said, well, ten four, uh, I'll get on that. And, and the next day, actually that evening, I posted my first post, and I think I said something along the lines of, "Yeah, what the hell do I do?" Yeah, let me tell you, I started. You know, after twenty years in restaurants, every day sucked because of scheduling. I, I created a platform that automates a lot of it. We leverage data, and you know, it's kind of all these things. We got three signups that day. Um, for the website, one of them, and this is six months ago, one of them has been a paying customer ever since. Um, and so it's one of those things I'm like, oh, wh- why didn't I do this six months ago, <laughs> right? Like it all, all of a sudden, it all made sense. And, and it made sense that if I'm adding value, I don't need to sell this to anybody. Let me add value. And, and maybe my value is shouting out some people that could use some extra attention. And maybe one of them just happens to be VP of Subway uh, operations, you know, or whatever it is. And so now I can add value, but but get the right people on my radar. And one of the things I found is so powerful is just making the right intros. Uh, Dan Cathy is the, the CEO of Chick-fil-A. We want Chick-fil-A as a client. I haven't pitched him yet, but I've started to, to intro him in comments on LinkedIn to people he could benefit from knowing or people that have grown similar size quick serve restaurant chains, uh, you know, as, as Chick-fil-A looks to continue to scale just, you know, and hoping that some of those at some point is going to go, wow, this guy, Corey's added so much value to my life. And, oh, he's got a scheduling company, you know, and all of a sudden it becomes really, uh, you know, people like to do business with their friends. And so I think that's what I started to do is make sure I talk enough about general what we're, what we're solving for without being too salesy, you know, certainly not trying to sound desperate. You know, if anything, let people kind of understand that, you know, their, their competitors are going to use us and we're going to save them time and money. So through that lens, they probably want to at least come check out our website and maybe take us for a test drive and see what we have to offer. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think one of the big things you said there was adding value. And I mean, that's what you've been kind of doing along the way, right? Is from the inception of Shedwell to where you're going with LinkedIn to, you know, just meet with people to add value, add value, add value. And, you know, I just had uh, 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 Tom Ross on the podcast, and it was the same thing. He grew his design cuts to 400,000 customers, and it was the exact same thing. He said, add value, add value, add value, and also just don't think scalable, right? I mean, this whole time, were you thinking, how can I automate it? How can I not do LinkedIn? How can I outsource it? Never. And I actually, uh, when I, I'm somewhat, somewhat famous in my small circle for doubling my followers from 15,000 to 30,000 in a month. And it's pretty ambitious. And I, you know, I didn't set out for that to be the goal, but just so happened, you know, for, for a couple of days, I was growing by a thousand, two thousand, three thousand followers a day. And so LinkedIn reached out and they said, listen, it was two of their senior market researchers. They said, we, we just kind of want to talk to you about your, your profile and your performance. You know, we see you're getting these thousands of like posts. Um, but we also want to talk to you just candidly about what you're doing behind the scenes. You know, how many people are on your staff? What 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 products are you using to automate your profile? And I, I said, oh, it's just me, and I've never automated anything, and I'm actually a free account. And they said, oh yeah, we see your free account. What do you mean you don't use anything to automate? I said exactly what. Yeah, you know, I, I said I, I downloaded Duck Soup once because I heard it was good. It, it frustrated me within ten minutes, and I literally took it off my desktop. And that's it. I said, I've never, I don't even want to. And the reality is that, you know, we can talk about authenticity and value add and all these things, but at the end of the day, it really is all about networking. 
And, and that's probably the, the actual secret sauce is I took the time to get to know my network. And for a while, it was stressful. I, I was probably getting on 12 hours of phone calls a day, probably talking to about 20 people a day from my network. And, and I did that for a number of months. But I now, and for whatever reason, I have that elephant's mind. I remember people I talked to five months ago, and you know, if, if it was raining in Boston that day or whatever it is. And so building this, this network of people around the world and the country that know who I am, that I know who they are. And a, a hack that I've used is a lot of people have these little taglines in their names. So even if you don't remember them, you do a hashtag with their tagline and a comment to them, and they feel super special. Corey, how do you always remember that I'm the bite-sized queen? It's like, well... I don't, I don't want to tell you. It's literally right <laughs> under your name. <laughs> when I tag it, comes, I literally just put the hashtag there, and you're giving me a lot more credit than I deserve. But it really is just about this familiarity. And now I can post something stupid. I had people really mad at me about a month ago because I posted, and my entire post was, uh, should I do a video today? And it was it. And it, 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 was a dumb, it was a dumb post. There was no value there. Um, but it got hundreds of likes within the first hour and a half. And people were so irate. Corey, I spent hours putting out the best content on, on the web, and, and, and no one ever sees it. No one cares. You put out this dumb little one line. And the reality is I was A-B testing the algorithm. I just wanted to see what a one-line post could do. I wanted something that was open-ended enough that some people would give a damn. Um, and, uh, you know, these, these kind of yes or no questions where it, you don't need 20 minutes to engage. I'm not asking for 10 minutes of your, your life to read something in 10 more minutes. It's a yes or no question. It took you, you're done reading it before you started. Like, should I do a video? Yes or no? And and it really worked. And so I, you know, then I can extrapolate that psychology out to some of the more value add posts. Uh, but that's kind of been my my strategy is just seeing what works with people. It, I mean, that's a great strategy, right? Test and and do it, and test and do it, and and execute and execute. Do you have any type of schedule that you adhere to, or is it just like as you think of it, you go boom and, and go do it? So I try to do. I, I I was trying to do two posts a day. I'm down to one post a day just because now they get so many more comments and I have to stay up on them. Um, and I, I probably shouldn't admit this on a podcast that'll go out to the world, but I do. As as of very recently, I do have an executive assistant that sometimes helps out with just the very, you know, make sure my inbox is clean. You know, fi- find the thousand people that that tagged you in your post today and just thank them all for doing so. And some of the stuff to take some of the kind of, you know minutia off my table and so i can log in and really get down to business but um but so now what i found and and i recommend this to everybody and and it's so scalable because what i've noticed is find the times and days that they say are the best times to post and just avoid those ones like the plague because that's when everybody's posting the the news news feeds get crowded if everyone in chicago thinks 8 22 in the morning is the best time to post and i posted 8 22 it's going to get buried with a thousand other people so I'll post at 4.30 in the morning when no one's even up. And by the time they post at 8.22, there's one post from Chicago that's trending in everyone's newsfeed, and it's Corey Warfield's because I tagged all the right people at the right time, and now when people start to wake up, they're drinking their coffee, they're going, what's going on on LinkedIn? Oh, wow, Corey tagged me. And that post has already got 100 likes, and so it's now cut through the noise. If, if, if there's a post that's going to be at the top of everybody's feed, it's going to be mine. Or maybe post at 10.15. Maybe everyone's 8.22 posts have gone dead. And people are going on to see how their post is performing, and oh wow, there's a new, there's one new post in my feed. And it's Corey Warfield. Let me check this out. And it's really been uh, kind of crazy. My my first post to hit a hundred thousand views, I posted on a Sunday night at ten p.m. and uh, it had a hundred thousand views before I went to bed that night. And it was everyone says you know weekends are the worst time to post. Sundays don't do it. Don't post too late. 
and that the entire thought process behind this was really kind of just whimsical. They said, okay, these are the times they say to post, but my audience is in Malaysia, China, India, and Australia. So if I post at 8 a.m. here, it's literally 4 p.m. one where, midnight somewhere else. You know, if, if all my people are in India and I post at 8 in the morning and it's, it's, it's 7 p.m. there, they're, they're, they're putting their phones away for the night. They've all got kids. They're all, they're all going to bed. Um, so maybe I shouldn't do that. And that's what I kind of that, – that was one of the things I was testing with my Sunday, Sunday midnight posts. It's like it's Monday morning in India. Let me see if I can be the only American with, with a new fresh, fresh post in their feed. And it just it did so well. And so I, that's kind of I, I found find find the, the loopholes and the weaknesses and also understand your audience. If, if all of your audience is in your hometown, then go the hour or hour or two before or after everybody else. But if they're in another time zone, completely play to that time zone and then do the same thing, plus or minus an hour or two. And it's been very successful for me. Um. What have been, you know, I want to get into some of the details of LinkedIn and like what you did and, and, and some of the tactics that you're using. I mean, obviously you're giving a lot of them, but like what you would recommend to that. But I have a couple questions before that. First of all, um, what, what are some of the, the results that you've gotten out of LinkedIn that you just never expected? So my, my investors came from what I'm doing on LinkedIn. Our biggest clients have come uh, inbound to me from what I'm doing on LinkedIn. Oh, wow, I love your content. I realize you have a scheduling software. We could use you guys. Uh, we actually had someone switch from our competitor to us uh, sight unseen because they wanted to do business with me and really getting that social capital. Um, other than that, I've got some, some speaking engagements coming up. I'm getting flown to, to the East Coast and then the West Coast, and they're putting me up and uh, paying me quite a bit of money just to kind of go tell people the same thing I'm telling your, your listeners and you on the show. But um, to, to think of myself all of a sudden as a, as a keynote speaker, as a paid public speaker, when I, I'm used to asking people how they want their steak cooked, it's really <laughs> somewhat surreal. And it's all because of LinkedIn. And now I have people that want to ghostwrite books for me and, and give me you know, the lion's share of the profits. I've got people that want to uh, – I'm now serving as CEO of three companies, and it's because these companies are saying, Corey, we need you. We need your reach. We need your, your mindset. We, we you know. And so it's very bizarre. It's, you know, none of them are my baby other than, than Shedwell, but, but now I've got two other stepkids that I love just as well. And, you know, but it's all <laughs> happened from LinkedIn. And um, I think one of the things that blew my mind months ago, I, I put up a video and I said, listen, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I don't watch any of your videos because I don't have time yet. And I feel guilty because I just put up a video. Don't even watch it. Please don't watch it. You don't have the time. I don't have the time. The video sucks. I'm feeling bad that I don't watch your videos. I said, even when I commented, create video, I said, that's just me saying it. It's like, I don't know. It could be garbage. I don't have time to watch any of them. And I don't want to you know, try to say that this person's video is worth watching. This person's isn't. So I'm just not doing it. Not watching your videos, not making any more videos. I'm done. Uh, enjoy this one or don't, you know, kind of thing. It's kind of, kind of a little bit of a, of a jackass post. And the video, and, and this is back where 100 likes was still a lot of likes for me. Uh, the video got over 100 likes. It's like, wow, like how, you know, at, at the risk, of, I don't want to sound like a jerk, but like kind of how dumb are these people? Like I told them the video sucks. I told them not to watch it. They're still watching it. <laughs> and, but so true to form, I, I really felt bad. I felt like I, I, was, I was asking more people than I was giving by doing these videos. So I just stopped for a couple of months. And uh, after about a month, I started getting people asking me in posts and tagging me, but also in DMs saying, hey, Corey, when are you going to do some more videos? We miss them. And I kind of said, oh, you know what? I don't have time. I don't have time to watch them. I don't have time to make them. I don't have time to deal with the, you know, all the content, comments on them, and so I'm just not doing it. Well, more and more people, I started hearing it. And then for about a week straight, 
I was getting no less than two people every day. So at least 14 people in a week, but probably more like 30 going, Corey, we miss your videos. We need to see a video. And people were tagging me in other people's videos going, too bad Corey doesn't make videos anymore. And so I just, I, I threw my hands up in the air. I guess I need to do videos. And so I did one and it did very well. Um, I think like 700 likes. And that, that was probably the third best post I'd ever done at that time. And, uh, people really like it and so now what i've done is i've actually had my my assistant carve out some time of the day that i can just go through and watch other people's videos so that i don't feel you know like like it's a one-sided transaction um and and i find i love watching people's videos too and all it takes if i've seen your video once if i see another videos and i watch it now i know you and most of these people you know they're they're fans to whatever degree so they watch mine as well and now we haven't had to take that hour of each other's life you know we, we each gave each other five minutes here five minutes there but we know each other we have a rapport and we can start making referrals or whatever it is and so it's been really powerful yeah and I, I, that's a crucial thing i think people don't realize about video is it lets people know you before but you've got to have you've got to be you you can't just be selling you, you have to have that authenticity. You have to provide value, which you did. Um, and that's really cool. I love that. I, it's it's amazing. I love the story about it and I love what it's done for your business and obviously your energy. Um, but you're also socially active on LinkedIn. And how do you balance that social messaging, especially in these divided times, to and also staying in front of people? It's I find it. It might be that I'm a bubble in Chicago, and I understand that that there are two two camps, and there is a division going on kind of globally and in this country. Um, I, I messed up an early investment by uh, by going to a protest rally, and so I try to stay very agnostic, uh, you know, on anything social media online. I understand that I do business with people of all mindsets and mentalities, and you know, uh, what what I've started to take a harder stand against is men mistreating women in the Middle East uh, culturally. Um, hard to tell someone that the way that they were raised is wrong, but but I'm very much into gender equality and all these things. So I've taken less of an American political stance and more of a global political stance. Um, but the one thing that I do, if I see division from anyone on either side, uh, typically I, I, I distance myself from them. I don't like any rhetoric on, on my social media. Uh, I think that it's just bad for business. I think that you know people have their reasons for believing whatever they do, and I'm not here to convince anyone to do anything other than to collaborate and love each other a little bit more. And, you know, from from my mindset, that 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 probably falls in one one direction more so than the other. Uh, But that said, I think my entire personal brand has been trying to love everyone, you know, love the people that are being rude, love the people that are being divisive, love the people that are being uh, condescending even. And on LinkedIn, you can do that uh, publicly. So I've got a guy here in Chicago that's been kind of trying to bully me online and threatening me and things of that nature. And. Um, he had a big following, and his following was much bigger than mine. I think actually today I just surpassed him, but no big deal. But he was making threats. He knew where I lived in, in person, and, and people were seeing him really take this very contrary uh, position against me publicly. And all I did was smile and receive it with love, and I didn't meet him. You know, I didn't stoop to his level or anything. And all the people that had kind of been big fans of him became big fans of mine instead. And I think just having that public public platform – to let people see how you react is a big one. And, you know, it's it's really been positive for me to just let people see me under pressure. 
and see me at my worst. And my company wasn't making much money just a few months ago. And so people saw me kind of struggling and just being authentic there. And people kind of got to feel excited when we raised our small investment and I got to start paying myself. And, you know, people were coming out of the woodworks to congratulate me and things of that nature because I have been that that real and just kind of pulled the curtains back. If if you want to see, you know, the, the real journey of a CEO bootstrapping a SaaS software company, um, in the B2B space, follow Corey on LinkedIn. And, you know, you're going to get the good, the bad, and the ugly through through a loving lens and through an empathetic lens. And I think that's just really worked well for my personal brand. And so, yeah, I mean, that authenticity is important, but isn't it scary to put that out there? I mean, most people don't want to, you know, you talk to most business owners and they don't want to, and CEOs, and they don't want to talk about what's going bad. I mean, what's his name um, from Apple? Just, you know, it's like, Oh, Apple's in the best place it's ever been. I'm like, ah. <laughs> that doesn't sound authentic. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> um, you know, so how how do you balance that? I mean, do you just say, okay, I'm going to do this, or is it just natural for you? So for me, it's so natural. But what, what, what I've now been doing is helping other people overcome that because I, I understand it's not natural for people. I'm the guy I ran for student council president at my high school in front of 3,000 people in the auditorium. I played in a punk band for years in front of, you know, we played to audiences of 500 to several thousand. I'm a freestyle rapper. So I, I performed in, in freestyle battle raps in front of, you know, hundreds what? and thousands of people. Yeah. I wish I had known that. I would have started with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's believe, believe it or not, it's it's on my profile. It goes around. That's one of the things every podcast talks about. You know, half the time, hey, Corey, I got a surprise. It's like when I hear that, I know they're about to just put on an instrumental and ask me to freestyle. It's like, no, <laughs> not a surprise. <laughs> like, anyone that's ever heard me on a pod. But, but anyhow, um, but so I, you know, I'm used to performing in front of crowds, and you know, between my bands and my my my, my entertainment history as a recording artist, um, kind of open up some of those doors. My demo day with my accelerator talked to a thousand people, so I don't have that kind of fear of public speaking anyway. Um, but I also I've got skeletons in my closet, and I just decided to leave that door open, um, you know, because I don't like to hide stuff. I, I don't like to have to explain stuff. So you know, I, I've talked a lot about the ups and downs of my life and the ups and downs of my adulthood and the ups and downs of shed wool. And I think it's so relatable and people love that authenticity. And one thing that I often talk to about people that are trying to get started on their videos is they go, well, my camera's not great. My lighting's not great. And I don't like my face. Okay. Well, great. Most people also don't have a great camera. Most people also don't have great lighting and most people also don't like their face. So it sounds to me like you have three great things going for you. What do you mean? Well, I mean that if you had great lighting, the best face anybody has ever seen, and a camera that could pick, you know capture all of your perfect pores and all of your no nose hairs, uh, and people saw that, they'd hate it. They'd hate it because they can't relate to it. They'd, Screw this person and their perfect skin and their perfect. People don't like that. People would love to see. Oh, that person has terrible lighting with a terrible camera, and they're even uglier than I am. If they can do it, I can do it. And it really is just that relatability and that whole. How do we inspire people? We don't inspire people with back to what we were just talking about with division and divisiveness. No, with unity. And how do we get unity? We we, we relate to each other. We we see that kind of the namaste. I see the God in you. Like I see the video creator in you. Uh, and it takes all these these kind of barriers to entry and excuse off the table. And no, no, your bad lighting is not an excuse because I just did one with bad lighting and I got a thousand views. So or a thousand like whatever it is, and all of a sudden 
it, it really you know helps people go, oh, I can do this. And then people start to do it. I've helped several hundred people now with their first LinkedIn video. A lot of them have had tens of thousands of views. And I had a girl with 24 followers or 24 connections, um, did her first video. She was looking for a job. I got two of my influencers involved in that, that video. That video got over 100,000 views in 72 hours, got like 5,000 likes. It's still on her profile. She got a job that week. She's here in Chicago. I took her in to her interview, mother of two. Um, it's one of those things where you can't overstate that and you can't, um, you know, people can actually go, her name's Jack, Jacqueline Amaya. They can go to her profile, scroll back and, and see a post of a video post of hers with, with that much traction. And the one before that probably had two likes, you know, and, and it's because she had 24 followers and, um, but so she would have never done a video. She was waiting for a good camera, good lighting. And, you know, people are kind of like waiting for the producer and the makeup crew to come around. It's like, no, do it in your t-shirt with your hair messy you know, let people think your breath looks like it must stink because guess what? If they're first thing in the morning too, their breath stinks. Let them relate to that. Let them, it, it's all about the, if you can do it, I can do it. Or, you know, almost that anything, you know, oh, I could do better. I thought I couldn't do as good because everyone's was perfect. But now everyone's suck. I can, I could do that. And just getting more and more people out there. And, and LinkedIn loves video content and original content. So when you marry those two together, the algorithm just, just loves you. That's great. And so, Let's talk tactics. Let's talk, you know, what, if you were getting started, you know, I, I talked to, you know, Jeremy, you, you were just on his podcast and I don't want to talk about everything that you did. So on the inspired insider, Jeremy Weiss's podcast, um, but I, if you were just getting started right now and you were, had to start all over, what would your daily LinkedIn activity look like? Um, I, I talk about this, uh, quite often and i'm going to answer the question but first thing i'm going to say is uh last night 7 30 dinner reservations uh with jeremy we we, we shut the place down uh, we were the <laughs> second to last table there he's amazing we're going to be able to end up doing things together and yeah, his podcast was phenomenal um but but you know so so uh, double shout out jeremy um, but, but, and, and I'll take it in a slightly different direction than the, than what I, I said on his show. But for me, it's just all about engaging. And here's what I've started to tell everybody. And I think it's so strategic and I wish I would have known this as well as I do now, back when I was getting started, find all your target influencers, you know, anyone 5,000 followers to a hundred, a couple hundred thousand, but find people getting good engagement and don't send them a connection request, just follow them. And their, 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 their stuff's going to start showing up in your feed. But here's where you get strategic. Every time you see any of them post, you go on and you like that post. Just give it a thumbs up. Play a little game with yourself. Try to be the first person to, to like their, their post. Every one of them is looking to see who the first person is. And if you're that first person, your name starts ringing a bell. And then what you do is every time you have anything value add to say, leave a great comment on there. Use some fun hashtags. Stroke their ego. Tag some friends. Bring more attention to their post. Help blow them up. And, and eventually, whether it's the first, second, fifth, tenth time, they're going to keep seeing your name, and, and then they're going to see second connection. Wait, I'm not even connected to Ian? This guy is adding more value to my post, and we're not even connected? They go to your profile. They send you a connection request, and, and they feel good about it, but 
how great is it? Do you feel that an influencer just requested you as a connection? And if they had 30,000 first connections, they're literally going to get rid of someone just to send you that connection. And you're that value add and you've made their life better. And it's not going to work 100% of the time, but you find 100 influencers, you start doing it to them. You're going to have 50 influencers that love you, know you, and have requested to connect with you probably within a month or less. And all of a sudden, now they're going to like all your stuff and comment. And some of them, like me, there are times if I comment on your post at the right time and the right way, I'll get to tens of thousands of extra views. I'll get second connections, starting to see your post right away. And imagine if you had 50 of me. <laughs> you, yeah. you know, all of a sudden, you're as relevant as you can be. And now just get strategic. Now, now start tagging the right people that can do business with you also. Or start putting out the right value that's going to, going to get the right set of eyeballs to, to reach into their pocket. And I mean, there are all these different ways that you can take it uh, once you get some some kind of exposure and, and get your soapbox. But that's the way to do it. And, and I started telling that to people. I just had that epiphany about a week ago. And I started telling it to people. I told a guy with 500, uh, 500 followers, all of which were first connections. And I said, start doing this instead. Don't send them requests. And he said, should I, should I withdraw the connections that I have sent? Because I've sent them to Oleg and all these people. I said, yeah, yeah, withdraw them all. And just start using this, this tactic instead. I think last time I checked this morning, is at like 2,100 um, followers. And I think only 1,500 of them are even first connections. So more people are following him than even connected to him all of a sudden. And this is, yeah, I think it's been a week or something. I'd have to, I, it, I, I, might, I might be confusing two people I gave the same tactic to. But, you know, everyone basically that, that's trying this is seeing some efficacy from it. So cool. Um, it, it, and it's, I'd love to see the action. So, Let's end up with talking a little bit about Shedwool. What's going on with Shedwool? Where are we where are we taking it in 2019? Yeah. So so the exciting thing for us right now is we're almost done with time tracking. So you'll be able to clock in and out using the app, using geofencing. Uh, it'll aggregate all the hours at a pay scale for management. So uh, you know, they, they can leverage us as a pay, you know, effectively as a payroll platform as well. Uh, we're building integrations to some of the bigger international uh, payroll solutions. Uh, we're, we're building out a full OAuth so that anyone that has an, an API can can integrate with us, you know, instead of us having to recode everything to make integrations. So the integrations are a big one. We just launched our integrations with Alexa and Google Home. Um, so we're actually the first voice-activated voice, voice activated or, or voice technology uh, accessible scheduling platform, um, which we're super excited about. We just built a uh, an integration with Google Calendar as well, and I live on my Google Calendar. So mm-hmm. to me, it's a no-brainer. We're a scheduling platform. We should integrate with Google Calendar, and, and somehow no one that, – that had slipped through the cracks for everybody else. So, you know, we, we kind of that, – that was low-hanging fruit for us. But the big thing, and we have the partnership in place for this, and we're, we're launching it in, here in Chicago before elsewhere. But we're going to start to let our users in every industry hire qualified, available workers as needed. So we're going to be an online temp agency. And so now if a restaurant needs a hostess on Saturday with the push of a button, we got someone coming in for you. And when you extrapolate this out, we have hospitals and, and, and police departments and fire departments using us. If the volunteer firefighter can get someone on Sunday because, you know, that the conditions are such that they're expecting fires or if a hospital can get a couple register nurses on for a weekend because there's anticipating a lot of drunk driving or, you know, all these things, push of a button, get qualified workers without having to hire them. And then we have our whole media upload component on the schedule platform so we can actually get them ready to walk in, ready to work, you know, learn the floor plan, learn the flow of the hospital, learn the chart, see what patients you're going to work with. And so that's kind of the big, the big thing. And, and the partnerships are there, the tech's about there. We, we really... Uh, it's it's t- there's so many moving pieces that affect so many people, and at the end of the day, it's real real money 
you know, that people are making and the companies are spending. So we have to just make sure that there's zero, zero bugs on that. I mean, we're right now we're, we're loving our scheduling software and there really aren't any bugs, but if there were, it wouldn't, wouldn't affect people the way that it could if, if a worker doesn't show up or two workers do or, uh, but so we're, yeah, the, the end of this quarter is when we're going to come out, out of the shadows with that. And people are saying, we'll be Uber for work. And, you know, every time I hear that, it kind of makes me chuckle, but, but I can't disagree with it. I mean, that really is kind of the model that, that we're, that we're moving toward. So cool. And I, I you know, I, I love the fact too, that you, I mean, you obviously care about people, it's not just a solution and you're not looking at, I mean, you've talked more about people than, uh, you know, the, the SaaS aspect of it or becoming the Uber of work. That's the first time you just said it. So I, I think that's a big, big deal. And I think that, you know, it, having that kind of heart is going to affect startups going forward. Right. And I think that gone is the day of just finding the hole and, and fixing it. And it works because we're seeing the backlash to Uber. Right. And then we're seeing the backlash to these companies that, don't have a social conscious. So I think that will add to your success. Um, and I'm super excited I, to see it. I love that. And then I'm going to yada, yada, yada over like the most important thing in my world and my life. But um, it's everything you just said uh, through, through what I put together on LinkedIn, because I do care about people and because I like to help. Uh, I, I was tapped as, as founder and CEO of, a, of an initiative called Mentor You Global. And, and we're now uh, in pre-launch. We, we've, we've put together almost a thousand hours of content um, and and we, we've helped, I think, somewhere getting close to 100 mentees with these pro bono consulting sessions. Uh, and so we're, we're almost 100 mentors strong, 1,000 mentees and, you know, waiting to get some sessions. But it's an entire content creation platform built around pro bono consulting. But kind of the, the magic of it is that we have an online accelerator that can help anyone launch their business idea. And it's three-tiered. Anyone comes to us in ideation, we set them up with consultants and coaches that can help them uh, with some market research, some prototyping, some uh, some business model canvassing, super lightweight stuff. But as they move their way through the accelerator, uh, our second tier takes 2% of the company. Our third tier takes 3% of their company. So if they graduate, and our goal to, is to graduate companies that are generating revenue, uh, we'll have a 5% ownership. They didn't have to come out of their pocket at all. And it takes so many of the, you know, kind of, again, the excuses and the barrier to entry away from starting a company. And after having failed experiences in an accelerator and a post-accelerator, this is everything that I wished I would have had access to. We have graphic designers and web designers and financial planners, and we have people that can step in as an interim CFO or uh, CTO and things of that nature. And um, it's all part of our ecosystem and the five percent that we take of the companies is distributed to our mentors, you know, in the form of private shares in these companies. So it's a way to all build our, our portfolios, which is phenomenal. Uh, we're putting together an investment fund so that we can place some seed investment at early rights. But um, we're really hoping to not have to write a lot of checks, not because I'm selfish or stingy, but I'd rather encourage people to bootstrap. I think the way to the way to really build a sustainable business is to take as little outside capital and influence as possible. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree because it, it just affects you get too many hands in there and, and it affects direction. It affects it affects everything. Um, so this has been fantastic. I mean, obviously, I'm going to have to have you on the show again, uh, especially, with, you know, over in the next year um, as you grow and you really bring out these new things. I'm excited to see them. And uh, but I really, Corey, I really appreciate you being on the show. I'm honored to be here. And uh, thank you all for listening to Corey and I taking us on your journey. This has been Ian Garlic and the Garlic Marketing Show. That's it for the Garlic Marketing Show. 
If you want to get the inside scoop and the latest techniques, make sure to follow Ian Garlic on Facebook.